Welcome to Through the Corporate Glass, a podcast that explores career choices. Welcome to another episode of Through the Corporate Glass. I'm your host Ashwini. Everyone has been talking about careers in software engineering. Today we're actually going to talk about whether you can move into software engineering with no formal education in this field. And if you could, how would you make that happen? What skills would you need and how would you pick those skills up? It's also going to be interesting to get a view of this role looking outside in, that is from someone who's not been a software engineer or who hasn't been trained to be one. So to explore this, we have with us Nadia Martin, who is currently a software engineer at DevRev. Nadia has a bachelor's degree in philosophy and Russian, and she started at DevRev in a people operations role before moving to software development. So welcome to our podcast, Nadia, and thank you so much for making time to share your journey with us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Ashwini. Awesome. So I'm going to start right from the beginning. So what led you to study philosophy in Russian? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a wacky major that got me some weird looks during college and still to this day. But I was really interested in literature growing up and in stories and in philosophy. And I was obsessed with just this idea of as silly as it sounds, is like living a meaningful life. So I was in high school and I explored books and it seemed like there was all these different ways to live a meaningful life. And I really wanted to study philosophy because it seemed like there would be answers there. Short answer would be there's no answer, but just better (laughs) questions to ask. But I was really interested in literature and storytelling. And that led me to learning a language of some of my favorite writers, Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, as well as studying some of the more thematic views, which is how I interpreted a view of philosophy. Fantastic. And no, I don't think it's weird at all. It's a fascinating choice. (laughs) Uh, For someone who's never studied philosophy or Russian, what does the major actually involve? What courses do you take? Yeah. So especially with philosophy, there's so many paths you can take. And one I took was studying philosophy of language because of that interest in literature and because of the interest in what are words doing. Whenever you take any philosophy class, towards the end, it sort of feels like you're just battling semantics and arguing over like the nuances of how a question's asked. So I really was drawn to philosophy of language because I felt like if you could figure out philosophy of language, then you could figure out philosophy, which is a view that a lot of those philosophers had. Again, short answer, can't really. But one of my favorite philosophers there was this guy named Wittgenstein who had a view of language as usage dependent, which was always fascinating to me because it's like the language we use becomes more meaningful in the ways that we use it. Russian... Yeah, it was, it was fun. I couldn't stop talking about him for four years, but <laughs> a little less frequent now. And with a Russian major, I was more interested in studying literature like by the authors of Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, and Nabokov. And I really was interested in it from the literature perspective, but I didn't expect to really fall in love with the language and the culture as much as I did. Not necessarily super popular to say you're a fan of Russian culture right now, but I think that it's really just devastating how how a government of a people can sort of shield a beautiful culture and super kind populace from the world and just sort of take on a villain role. So I was really love the people and the culture and the language as well. It's fascinating. A philosophy of language sounds really exciting. And is this philosophy behind interpreting the language semantics? So it's a little bit of 
everything. There were some philosophers in like early 20th century who were obsessed with the idea of making like language, math, and I think logic all become one thing so that it could have sort of like a universal language through which to interpret the world with the sciences and the humanities. Ended in several mental breakdowns from several philosophers, but there is that idea of like making it I don't know, solving that semantic question. Um, but later thinkers are more about like, how do we explore the depth of meaning instead of trying to force it into one small box? Right. Nice. And after that, how did you end up picking up a role with Deborah? Yeah. So that actually is a little bit more tied to my Russian major. And there's a story that I tell about this sort of group that I discovered because for a while I thought I was going to go to academia to study philosophy or Russian, could never decide on which. But there was this group of early 20th century Russians, and I promise there's a point here. There's not, it's not just going to be a long tangent about Russians, but early 20th century Russians called the biocosmists. And these folks had wacky ideas. It was like right by the time of revolution, they wanted to make people immortal. They wanted to bring people back from the dead. They did blood transfusions from like the young to the old to make people live longer. A bunch of really crazy things that a lot of which did not end well, but they were also the people that originated rocket science. And I was always fascinated by that like line of where is it like this wacky idea that could never happen and where is it innovation? And I wrote about it constantly. I wrote several essays on it. I thought I was going to do part of my thesis on it. And the more I talked about it, the more I was sort of felt as though I was isolating myself with academia. There's a lot of merit to academia, but I found myself more and more compelled to sort of be a part of that journey towards innovation as opposed to just sort of sticking down the path of talking about it. And I sort of reached out and found several tech companies and DevRev was a really early stage startup. And I applied for a strategic operations role where there was a lot of strategy involved and planning for internal operations. And, and then here we are. Nice. We're very happy that you joined DevRev, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> and uh, just for our listeners, could you tell yeah. us a little bit about the strategic ops role as well? Absolutely. So I joined DevRev when there was about 35 people. I was the first intern they had. And right then there wasn't much designed for how we were going to hire, for how we were going to operate internally, for what the different departments were going to be, what our culture was going to be. So a lot of what I was working on was determining certain plans for recruiting on college campuses, for building out like what our culture documents were going to be, how we were going to present them, how we were going to understand it. Also thinking about onboarding, offboarding, like just essentially how is the employee lifecycle going to be? How do we make sure that the people that are actually building the product are enabled? And how do we make sure that the product is, is something that can be long lasting because there's a foundation of a culture that can pivot from thing to thing? Yeah, fantastic. And I guess part of the strategic ops role kind of exposed you to the automation and the programming. So how, how did you get interested in software development? Totally. So when I joined, it was a very small team with several folks from very different backgrounds working at Palantir, investment banking, SpaceX. And one of the people that was on the team was technical. So on the strategic operations team, we were trying to build out how hiring worked, but also one person on the team named Nia was able to build automations on top of that, mm -hmm. uh, which when you don't know coding seems like magic. <laughs> it seems like all of a sudden you can press a few buttons and like have half the time it would take originally to do something like that. So I was super interested in how he was doing that. And I expressed somewhat of an interest. And 
he took the time every single week for a few months to just teach me SQL, like an hour or two every week. And I'm still in shock that he was able to do that and take the time to like facilitate someone non-technical learning, even just a entry point technical skill of SQL in. I started using that skill more and more to be able to create dashboards that would be able to track what was happening with our hiring pipeline. From there, it just sparked my interest and I took a Python class in coding. When I came back to DevRev, I started learning JavaScript and how to um, use APIs to add integrations to things and just sort of built knowledge one piece at a time. But it really started after just seeing that it was possible with someone on my team and that person taking, giving me the opportunity to be able to learn for myself. That's nice. How do you view this role? What do you think about software engineering? And do you find any connections at all with your love for language? <laughs> I feel like that's a loaded question and you know my answer <laughs> to that. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I really, really enjoy software development because it feels as though it's not this scary, like STEM strict, like figuring out one thing and having to just know a thousand things. We're going to talk about chat GPT later, but the knowledge economy is changing already. But what I found in it was an ability to think analytically, like I love doing with philosophy and with um, logic. And I had always loved math and whatnot as well, but just had majored in other things. I was able to lean on the analytic side of myself and simultaneously have the creativity to figure out what needs to be done, how to operate on it, how to make it scalable, how to make it actually efficient, how to make it possible for other people to use. And that combination is so mentally engaging. I love the work because you're constantly learning and you're just problem solving. And it's like, you, it's like playing a game of chess for me. I always am able to just sort of throw myself in. And when it's over, it's like, I feel like I come out of a different reality. And I feel like when I'm coding, it's like the same thing where you just get so immersed and it's so much fun. Right. I actually love the fact that you pointed out the logic piece, because I think there's a tendency to keep saying, hey, you need to do math or engineering to be a good programmer. Logic is actually at the crux of it. And philosophy does have a lot of logic. I know you were telling me earlier that you're kind of using ChatGPT now to Mm -hmm. learn programming. And so tell us a bit more about that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think ChatGPT is either super popular with people right now where it's all they'll talk about or they sort of resent it and don't think its value is like quite at the level that people are talking about. So it feels like there's kind of like an extreme view of what this new tool is. I would say for me, I'm somewhere in between, maybe leaning a little bit more towards the excited side because I think it can be very scary, especially in the cases where you're trying to one, have it do something entirely for you. I think you could, if you're somewhat like insecure in the field that you're in. I think that's more rare, but like, I think that since it's a knowledge economy, there's talks about like the paralegal field being able to be somewhat not like taken over, but is more easily replicated. It's like the, like there's so much AI now to create art, to create writing. It's a very scary tool as well. So I think there's a lot of hesitation there. For me, I think it's the best tool for learning. And the reason I say that is because it can easily generate something that you want to learn and then break it down in whatever way you want to be able to learn however you need. For instance, I was trying to learn Golang and I'm at a point now where I can sort of know how a structure of a language exists. I can know like you need to know how to like loop, how to do if else, how to like all these relatively simple things. So I asked it to generate a script in Golang doing those things. 
and was able to be like, okay, I don't know what this package main thing is at the top and ask it and figure out how that works in the object oriented language and just go one thing at a time like that so that I could have a sort of templatized view of what a language would look like and then go and figure out what I wanted it to do. One other thing I'll add is when I was like learning languages to begin with, that person I mentioned before, Nia, he had said that figure out what you want to do and then figure out how to code it. You can't do it the other way around, which is very annoying when you're trying to learn how to code, <laughs> but it's so helpful as advice. And it's how I think it's helpful as a tool with ChatGPT is if you know what you want to do, if you want to use Golang to build a script to send yourself a message on Slack, you can have it do a rough version of that that won't be perfect. But then you'll be able to understand how it operates and be learning by doing as opposed to just sort of like going on documentation and reading one thing after another without necessarily anything done from it. Perfect. Makes a lot of sense. And just to give a brief overview of ChatGPT for our listeners in case they didn't know about it, ChatGPT is essentially a, a large language model. And basically what it lets you do is you can have a chatbot respond to you with uh, answers to your questions. And the questions could be anything, like write me an introduction to this podcast could actually be your prompt versus could be something that Nadia just mentioned in terms of write me this code snippet for Golang. Uh, it's essentially something which is in the early stages. So of course, a lot of refinement is pending, but then it already does a lot of things which could be meaningful. I think Nadia, what you mentioned about being able to kind of dissect the code and then ask it questions yeah. specific to it and get responses. I think that's an amazing way to learn because uh, that's like this concept we have in software engineering about pair coding, right? Like mm -hmm. you have two people who are kind of coding together essentially so that you can bounce ideas off of each other, correct each other's code and, you know, make progress a little faster. So that's interesting that you're using it that way. What, what are your biggest challenges as a programmer now? Yeah, I mean, I think that fortunately we're about a company where people are really helpful with getting, again, asking questions. People are not afraid to ask. People are not afraid to answer. People are so incredibly kind in that process when you're learning or trying to do something. So for me, I would say, even though I'm still learning a lot when it comes to coding, I'm by no means like the world's best programmer. I think the biggest struggle for me is some imposter syndrome. I think that's something that people face regardless of what their major was or where they came in. But I know when I started programming, it felt as though every single person around me knew absolutely everything about coding. And I was the only <laughs> one who didn't, which of course, at this point, I know is not the case at all. Right. But regardless, I think there's sort of, there's a lot of ego that goes into programming and people want to be able to do what they're there to do. And so not knowing can be at least for me, feel somewhat shameful, even though I know it shouldn't. And I think other folks also deal with some of that, which means that they can put on that they know something that they may not, making one feel more and more like isolated about their one's respective knowledge. I think right now my brain knows that I don't need to have imposter syndrome, but it's just my like my heart needs to catch up. But at the same time, I think that it adds such a huge layer of fear to whatever you do because you're constantly a one error away from feeling like, oh my God, I'm a terrible <laughs> programmer. I don't know anything versus when it compiles, being like, okay, I got it. I can do everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you're absolutely right because you're never going to feel like 
you know, you're the best programmer ever because there's always going to be a new a new language around the corner. Which yeah. be like, hey, you don't know me yet. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now it's it's interesting you said about you know being one error away from <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know that feeling, right? Like it doesn't work and you're like, oh my God, it's never going to work. I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to wake up tomorrow. And then you just like remove a semicolon and it works. <laughs> Do you have any parting thoughts for anybody who wants to break into programming? Yeah, definitely. I think that like if someone's listening to this and they want to go into engineering, I know if I were listening to this and wanted that, I tend to like compare my direct experience, to someone's experience, and then be like, okay, if this person's done this, then I can do it. But I would just say, don't, I mean, no matter what experience you have, if you're wanting to do engineering, you're at a place where you're capable of doing engineering. There are so many resources out there to be able to learn. And the biggest hurdle is just doing. I feel like, I mean, you can probably agree that the more that one does in software engineering, the more yes. confidence you get, the more ability you get. So just start doing what you want to do. And there's tools like ChatGPT and you have your own experience that may seem completely different but in some way will help you relate to what a software engineer does and help you in your own journey. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Nadia. Great. Thanks for this fantastic episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Ashwini. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed our episode, do subscribe to the podcast and check out our show notes which provide more information on the topics discussed during the episode. Please follow us on LinkedIn at Through the Corporate Glass and on Twitter at Corporate Glass and share your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. You can also check out our website through the corporate glass.com.